0: It's only appropriate as we kick off this Father's Day to actually have a few dad jokes. And uh, my kids always used to say, I tell a joke, they say, Dad, that is such a bad dad joke. I said, No, it's a great joke. And so I'm going to go ahead and give you some of my favorite ones. Here you go, ready? Did you hear about the restaurant on the moon? Great food, no atmosphere. Why did the invisible man turn down the job offer? He couldn't see himself doing it. (laughs) My friend says to me, what rhymes with orange? And I told him, no, it doesn't. (laughs) My uncle named his dogs Rolex and Timex because they are his watchdogs. After dinner, my wife asked if I could clear the table. I needed a running start, but I made it. (laughs) What did the ranch say when someone opened the refrigerator door? Close the door. I'm dressing. (laughs) One more. What do you call a fake noodle? An impasta. Actually, we got, we got so many great dads here at Grace Community Church, and many of you are in this room, and uh, many of you are online. But I want to also ask all of the uh, dads that are also elders and pastors of our church, if you'd stand for just a moment. Because these are, in many ways, some of our spiritual fathers. Let's give these guys a hand, would you? Thank you, guys. Now, we've been studying the book of Nehemiah, and so far what we've seen that in in 587 B.C., the Jewish people who were held captive in Babylon were actually now set free to come back to their homeland, back to Jerusalem. Under Persian rule, after Persia conquers Babylon, it was the decree of the Persian king to allow these Jewish people to return to their homeland. So they return to Jerusalem. If you remember when they return, what they find is that their city really is in a pile of rubble. It is a pile of stones. The walls have been broken down. There are large stones and small stones. And now they are going to endeavor to rebuild. Under Nehemiah's leadership, they are going to rebuild the walls of the city for security, for safety, protection. And I want you just to think about how overwhelming of a task that would have been to get there and to see this insurmountable, you know, task before you that you're going to rebuild with just piles of rubble. But under Nehemiah's leadership, in just 52 days, they rebuild the walls of the city of Jerusalem. Now, there were some times that they were really overwhelmed by it what they were facing. In fact, let me read one verse to you. In Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 10, it says, thus in Judah it was said, the strength of the burden bearers is failing, these workers, yet there is much rubbish and we ourselves are unable to rebuild the wall. So there was a point where they just looked at it and said, we can't do it. We can't do this. This is too overwhelming of a task. And this is where Nehemiah comes in as as a great encourager. And through his encouragement, he enables them to persevere and to rebuild the wall. In fact, it was with God's help and Nehemiah's encouragement that this job gets done. Let me read another passage. Nehemiah chapter 6 now, verse 15 and 16 says so the wall was completed on the 25th of the month of Elul in 52 days and it came about when all our enemies heard of it and all the nations surrounding us saw it they lost their confidence for they recognized that this work had been accomplished with the help of our god so they do this really impossible task humanly speaking with the help of God and the encouragement of Nehemiah. You know, encouragement is a powerful, powerful thing. In fact, on this Father's Day, I just want to remind all the dads here and online that I don't believe there's there's few things more powerful on planet Earth than the encouragement of a father. I also think that there's not hardly anything on planet Earth as devastating as the discouragement of a father. That's why in Colossians chapter 3, here's the one verse for all of us dads to really get. Colossians 3, verse 21, Fathers, do not exasperate your children that they may not lose heart. The times I regret the most in my life as a father are the times that I exasperated my children, the times I caused them to lose heart. The times I am most happy about as a father are the times I was encouraging to my children. I was a grandstand dad. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about being grandstand people. So this applies to all of us. But specifically on his Father's Day, I want to talk about being grandstand dads. Now, I actually had some grandstands brought in here so we could have this image. I want you to have this image in your mind, all of us, from this message that we think about how can we be grandstand people? Because this, this image right here brings a lot of warm memories to me because I saw my parents in grandstands and thousands and thousands of grandstands and bleachers as I was growing up. They never missed a ball game, whether it was a baseball game. I can still picture my dad sitting there. Always had a big, you know, tub of popcorn, and my mom sitting next to him, you know, yelling at the umpire. But I can just still hear. I can still hear my dad say, "When I got to back, give it a ride, gear. Had a boy, gear." My my parents were grandstand parents. They always were cheering me on. They always believed. That, that I could I could do it. Even if I didn't believe I could do it, they believed I could do it. And whether it was sports or whether it was school or whatever I was doing, they never missed the opportunity to be grandstand parents. And really, I think for us as dads here, we want we want to we all want to see how can I be no matter uh, how old my kids are, even if they're grown, how can I be a grandstand dad? How can I cheer them on? How can I keep believing in them? How can I speak words of encouragement to them, breathe life into them? And we want to be grandstand people, all of us, to our family members, to our church family, to our friends, cheering other people on. It's a powerful, powerful thing. Now, the opposite of being a grandstand person is really is to be a basement person. And I want to basement people, what basement people do is they don't lift people up, they bring people down. So I call them basement people. And I want to tell you about Uncle Leo. Now, he wasn't really my uncle. He was my best friend's great uncle, but they kind of took me in on their family. And so when I'd go to his lake house or fish, he took me like one of his great nephews and treated me just like he did the rest of them. He was a basement person par excellence. (laughs) Because no matter what you did, it was never right in Leo's eyes. He'd always find something wrong with it. I never never remember hearing one encouraging, uplifting word from Leo. It was always, well, he could have done it that way. Even if he did it right, it was like, yeah, but it would have been better this way. He was always a basement person. Now, we can't keep those kind of people from being in our lives. But we do need to make sure we have the other kind. We need to make sure we got some grandstand people in our lives. And we need to make sure that we're grandstand people to other people. And just to illustrate this, I've got a a fuel tank here because I want you to realize that there's a sense in which all of us have a fuel tank. And there are people who really pour into us, and there are people who suck the life out of us. So there are people, and these are grandstand people. These are people who, when we're around them, it's just like they're filling our tank. I mean, they're speaking words of encouragement. They're believing in us. They're cheering us on. They're enabling us to overcome that setback. They're pouring into us. They're grandstand people. They fill our tank. And then there are people that do just the opposite, basement people. And what they do, and I don't know how they seem to do it, but it's like they've got the ability to just come up to you and just (laughs) suck the life out of you. They know just what to say to take it out of. They know what to say to discourage you, and they always are draining to be around. So what I'm saying on this Father's Day to all of us dads, and really to all of us, is our goal is to be grandstand people to the people around us and not basement people. Always looking for ways, how can I breathe life into this person right now? How can I say something that's going to give them some courage to handle the situation? And Nehemiah was a grandstand guy. When you read the book of Nehemiah, you realize that had Nehemiah not been who he was, that wall would have not been rebuilt, not unless another one like him came along, another grandstand person cheering them on. So I got to thinking about being grandstand people, and I was thinking about the different ones throughout the Bible who really were those kind of people, grandstand people, encouragers. And, of course, I landed on what I think is probably the best example we have of a grandstand person, and that is the person in the New Testament, whose name given to him by the apostles is Barnabas. Barnabas means son of encouragement. And if you study his life, if you just study him through the book of Acts, it's amazing how he made a difference in history by being a grandstand person. In fact, I want to give you five things that he did that we can all learn to do. Every one of us can learn to do these five things and be grandstand people, breathe life and strength into people around us like Barnabas did. So in Barnabas' life, the first thing we catch him doing that really made him a grandstand person was in his giving. Really, Barnabas is the first recorded donor in the New Testament. Do you know that? Barnabas encouraged others by his giving. We really first pick his story up in the book of Acts, chapter 4, verse 36 and 37. Let's just read it. And Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, that's the nickname they gave him, which means son of encouragement. And he owned a tract of land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So the first thing we see him doing is, is Barnabas sees that there's a need, and he decides that he can meet that need. There's some people that have a financial need, and he's thinking, I got this land over here I can sell. He sells it, brings the money, lays it at the apostles' feet, basically says, here, you guys know what to do with it, here. I trust you with it. You don't have to build a building with my name on it. Just whoever needs it, here it is. And so they take this money, and they're able to just really encourage people. And I think a lot of us can think of times where somebody did something financial to us that breathed some life and hope into us. I mean, it was encouraging. It was just the right time that they came through with the money. There have been a lot of times in the history of grace, where someone's come up to me and given me an envelope full of money and said, would you give this to so-and-so? I-, I want them to have it. I just don't want them to know that I gave it to them. And I'll say, if you want me to, I will. But I'd rather you do it so they can actually thank you. They said, no, no, I don't. I want you to give it. So I'll go up and I'll say, here's, somebody wants you to have this money. And as I hand it to them, you can see life breathe into them. I mean, they're just like, they just kind of, it's like, thank you. It's like hope's restored. You know, they can now pay that bill that they're behind or whatever the situation is. It's amazing how we really do encourage people in our giving. Of course, when we give tithes and offerings, that money's used to bless so many people, and that's encouraging. But also, we can, there's other ways that we can just be givers where we encourage people. As I was thinking about our church family, we have so many who do that here in our church family. So many who are encouragers in their giving. And there's one that really kind of stands out to me, and that's Steve Hedlund. You know, Steve and Ruth Hedlund really are great grandstand people in their giving. You know, Steve grew up in the Philippines with the Agda people in the jungle. But now, a lot of you may not know this, but now there is a school for these Agda people to be educated so they can actually compete in the job market, since a lot of them are having to go into towns and cities. And do you know who made that whole school happen? Steve and Ruth. You know, he just they just went ahead and and I want you to think about, I want you to think about how that breathed life into the Ogda people. Here they are thinking, how are we gonna make it? You know, we're losing our you know our our property, our rainforest is going away. How are we gonna live? We're not educated, and all of a sudden Steve says, We gotta get you a school. And he uses his own money to make it happen. <clears throat> And he's an example in other ways as well. And I, and I, just, But we have so many like him in our church family that think like that. that are, How can I give some money to breathe life into you? I mean, think every time you, a, a young person is going on a summer mission trip and you say, I can't give much, but here's 20 bucks, that's encouraging to them. That's saying, I believe in you, I'm cheering you on. And that really is being a grandstand person to them. So giving is one of the ways that we can do that. And that's a great example we have in Barnabas. But think about how can I, this week even, just surprise somebody unexpectedly with a gift. It doesn't have to be a lot. I mean, just say, hey, hey, I just wanted you to, you know, I want to buy you lunch this week here just because I believe in you. I think you're something special. And we can do that. We can be grandstand people to our giving. So we see that in the life of Barnabas. I think a second way we see uh, grandstand being a grandstand person in the life of Barnabas is by by his acceptance of others. And I want you to see where we see this. The first place we see this in the life of Barnabas is in Acts chapter 9. Remember, there's a man by the name of Saul. And Saul is his Hebrew name. His Greek name is Paul. Now, we know that he becomes the apostle Paul and, and, and changes the world. But we got to back up in this story. We got to back up because there was a point, if you remember Saul, he was a persecutor of the church. He was a zealous Pharisee of Pharisees, a Jewish religious leader who hated the Christians. He wanted to see an end of this, of Christianity. And so he was having them arrested and dragging them off, having them put in prison, and even having... Some of them killed. And so we know the story that Saul is on his way to Damascus. What's he doing on his way to Damascus? He's going there with official papers to get some more Christians arrested and have them thrown in jail. And on the way, on the road to Damascus, we know what happens. He has an encounter with the risen, glorified Christ. And he gets converted And now what does he want to do? He wants to live as a Christian. He wants to be part of the Christian community. And so he tries to join the Christian community. And what do they do? They think, oh, wait a minute here. Wait a minute. They didn't believe it was genuine. They thought he's faking it. All he wants to do is get in and find out who we all are so he can drag us off and put us in jail. So they thought, we're not touching him with a 10-foot pole. But then along comes Barnabas. Let's read the account. Acts chapter 9, verse 27. But Barnabas took hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, and he had talked, how he talked to him, and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. See, that's the thing about a grandstand person, is they believe you can change. They don't believe that you're stuck in your past sins, and you're always judged for what you did back then. A grandstand person says, no, I believe you can change. Christ can change anyone, and I believe he's changed. And so what does Barnabas do? He puts his arm around Saul, who we know as Paul, and he vouches for him. He goes to the Christian community and says, This is for real. Give this guy a chance. Let's believe in him. And think about that. What would have happened to Christianity had there not been a Barnabas who believed in Paul? That's the thing about if we're going to be grandstand people, we got to see people not from the, with, their, from their, with their past mistakes dragging along with them, but see them in their potential of what they can become and accept them of where they're at. i tell you, one of the ministries we have here at Grace that I am so uh, proud of is our CR ministry, Celebrate Recovery, and how somebody can come into that group and they will accept them immediately. They don't. They don't. They don't judge them by their past failures and sins. They automatically accept them. And what does that do? That cheers them on. They let them know they can. They can become what they want to be. And that's how I think the majority of us really are as a church. Our church has that DNA. But all of us, I think, need to think: How can we even do this better? Not judge people by their past sins or failures, but th- But see in them what they can be, what they want to be, and and really breathe life into them. Well, there's a third thing that we see about Barnabas' life that really makes him a grandstand person and a great example, and that is how he celebrates the progress of other people. See, when you celebrate somebody's progress, you are being a grandstand person. You're celebrating them. Way to go. Way to go. You're on the right track. And, and that is that is empowering. Now I want to read you a passage. Acts chapter eleven, verse twenty and twenty-one says, "But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number, a large number who believed turned to the Lord." Now, we really got to see the drama at this point in history. Up to this point in history, really, the flow of Christianity has pretty much remained Jewish. It is pretty much contained right there in Jerusalem and maybe in parts of Judea. But it is really staying Jewish. But a couple guys, they go on down to Antioch. And they start preaching the gospel to Greeks, and these Greeks want in. They want into the Jesus community, so they repent and believe. Now, word of this gets back to Jerusalem to the leaders in Jerusalem. The word gets back to them that hey, you know, uh, they we start you know preaching Jesus down in well down you know up, up in Antioch and well it's kind of gone Gentile. And we're not sure what to do about it. So they have a meeting. And I think a meeting kind of ends with something like this. Hey, let's send Barney down. Barney will like anyone. (laughs) And so that's what they do. They send Barnabas. Let's read Acts chapter 11, verse 22 through 24. And the news about them reached the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Then when he had come and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. So Barnabas, what does he do? He gets excited about what he sees, and he's excited about their progress. And he, what does he do? He's the grandstand guy, Right. He's cheering them on. Hey, you guys are on a great track. Keep going. This is awesome. That's what we do as Grandstand people. We cheer people on in their progress. Notice the progress and just point it out and celebrate it. I think a good example of that really that comes to mind is my wife Tracy. You know, we'll have we'll be it'll be Saturday before Sunday where we have a small group And she's baking a cake. I'll say, who are you baking a cake for? hoping it's for me. She said, it's not for you. I'll bake you one, but this cake is for those in our small group who just got baptized. And so what does she do? She wants to throw them a party. And that's what she does. In our small group, we'll have cake, and everyone gets baptized. We cut the cake, and we make a big deal out of it. Why? Because Tracy's a grandstand person. She's cheering them on. And what she's doing, she's the, causing a whole group to be grandstand people. So what do we do? We all celebrate their baptism, celebrate their decision to walk and follow Jesus with all their heart. And do you see how that would be encouraging to them? I mean, they made this decision, and now they're being cheered on to keep on going. And so we all need to be, we need to be those who celebrate other people's progress, uh, like Barnabas, and be a grandstand person. Now, there's a fourth way that Barnabas does it that models for us, and that is by promoting others, promoting others. Now, if you remember, the gospel goes to Antioch. Antioch is north of Israel in Syria, and Syria, and, it, and it's pretty much gone Greek, gone Gentile. And Barnabas is wondering, okay, what are we going to do about this? How are we going to help these Believers really grow and develop, and Barnabas remembers. Wait, I need somebody who can really teach, who's sharp, who's got a great, you know, sharp mind, a sharp tongue, teach the word of God, who understands really the, the you know, the the, the uh, Jewish roots to all this, but also lived and worked in the, uh, the Gentile environment, understands all that their culture. Who could that be? I know. I got to go get Saul. I got to go get Paul. And that's what he does. Acts chapter 11, verse 25 simply says, And he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. So he goes. He goes to find him. This is really interesting. If you study in the book of Acts, it talks about Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas, most likely the older, more mature follower of Christ. Barnabas Saul. What's interesting? After Barnabas goes and gets Saul, and puts him in this place of leadership, the book of Acts starts starts saying not Barnabas and Saul, but Saul and Barnabas. And Barnabas promotes him, makes him the leader, puts him in front, says, "You go. I'm behind you. I believe in you." What happens? Paul rises up, becomes this mighty leader because he is promoted by Barnabas and has a great impact because of that promotion. I was thinking about as a college pastor. When I first, in 1980, I started as in the, in the Cornerstone house right there at UTA campus that our church now owns. I started as a campus pastor. Now, the guy that led that ministry, his name was Bill Barnett. And the first thing he does when I get there is he just starts putting me forward. He says, "Why don't you teach? Why don't you lead this meeting? Why don't you do this?" Now I didn't really notice what he was doing at the time, but what he was doing was is he was being a Barnabas to me. He was promoting me. He was putting me up there, believing in me, and helping me develop. And we can all be that for somebody. We can all look for ways to really help, especially our younger people and you know, move into different. Uh, ministry areas and and ministry slots. One of the things that we've done in our city, some of you know that uh, for about 20 years, I and some others led our pastors group uh, in really networking and unified efforts throughout our city. Well, a handful of years ago, we decided it was time to really promote the pastors in our city who are about the age that we were when we started leading, and that was late 30s, early 40s. So we gathered a group of younger pastors about that age, and we said, okay, you guys, it's time for you to lead. We're behind you. We'll help you, but it's time for you guys to step up and lead. You can lean on us. You can be, we can be a sounding board. We'll be there when you call a meeting, but you guys lead it. And at first, they they're kind of slow to take the lead, but, but they really have embraced that, and they are doing such a good job. And I want to give you just an example. In the midst of all of uh, the racial tension, that we've had in our country uh, these last few weeks, and the rioting and, and how different cities have responded. Well, our pastors group, led by these younger men, really they called to, called the meetings, called us to in meetings together to talk about how we could be unified across ethnic, racial barriers, denominational barriers, and really be a unified church. And then how and then they called meetings with the city leaders, and we met with city leaders and and talked about how we can, as a city, make sure that we are being like Micah tells us to be, that we do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with our God. And we talked about ways that our city could make some changes and make sure that we are doing things justly and merciful. And the city leaders responded embraced it. I tell you, Arlington is a model city right now for how to handle these situations. And, but, but I really see that it was key that these guys rose to the surface and, and took the lead and they're energized in it and have done such a good job. But we can be Barnabas-like people by helping promote others. And uh, think about who, that, who you can help really take, you know, move forward and, and rise to that occasion. Well, there's a fifth way and final way that we see Barnabas really modeling for us how to be a grandstand person, and that is that he developed others. He developed them. One of the things that Paul and Barnabas would do is as they were doing ministry trips, is they had a team. And some of the guys on their team, they were taking some younger guys along and helping develop them so that they could lead in the future. And one of those guys was a man, a young man by the name of John Mark. And if you remember, they took John Mark along with them, Paul and Barnabas, as part of their ministry team on a missionary journey. But you also might remember that John Mark quit and left them at a certain point. Let's read that. Acts chapter 13, verse 13. Now Paul and his companions put out to sea from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John, talking about John Mark, left them and returned to Jerusalem. Now we're not exactly sure why John Mark left them and why Paul felt like he deserted them. But he did. Well, now it came time for another missionary journey. And Barnabas wants to have John Mark come along again. But Paul does not want this. Let's read the account. Acts 15, verse 37. And Barnabas was desirous of taking John, called Mark, along with him also. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along, who had deserted them, and Pamphylia had not gone with them in the work. And there arose such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another, and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. Now, I could just see Barnabas saying to Paul, wait a second. I mean, when nobody would touch you with a 10-foot pole, I embraced you, I gave you another chance, and you're not going to give John Mark another chance? I mean, there's a sharp disagreement. And I can just imagine how that conversation must have gone. And we're not really told in the Scriptures who was right and who was wrong during that disagreement. But later on, the Apostle Paul, as he writes his last epistle, Second Timothy, last chapter, chapter 4, here's what he says. He says, 2 Timothy 4.11, he tells Timothy, Only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. See, I think Paul realized that Barnabas was probably right. Given Mark another chance, and now I need him. I need him to come, be with me right now. What would have happened had there not been a Barnabas in the life of John Mark? Mark who goes on to write the gospel of Mark. What would have happened had there not been a grandstand person in Mark's life? there's a good chance he wouldn't have continued. It's a good chance we wouldn't have had the gospel of Mark without a Barnabas. You know, it really is. This is a, he's, he's such a great example to us, Barnabas, in so many ways. There's another verse I want to read to you because, really, we want to be grandstand people. And this is a verse. In fact, I was just talking to a brother this morning about this very verse. It's out of Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13. It says this. Encourage one another day after day. Now why? Why is that so important? He goes on. As long as it's still called today, lest any one of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. See, it's amazing how if we're if we're not if we're discouraged, sin has the power of deceiving us more than when we're encouraged. It's that simple. If I'm discouraged, sin can start looking a lot better to me. But when I'm encouraged, keep on, stay on a path, finish the race. You can do it. It's amazing how I can endure through. It's a temptation. We need to encourage one another daily. One of the things, that, the thing I hate most about the impact the coronavirus has had on the church, the thing I hate most about it is really is there have been so many believers that have been isolated. Yeah, I, I'm so glad for online viewing. I'm so glad, even many of you that are online today, but still, it's still so easy not to be face-to-face with somebody to encourage you to stay in there. To fight that good fight, finish that race, keep the faith. We need people in our lives. We need, that's why it's so important that we do look for ways safely, of course, wise, you know, with wisdom, of course, but. We got to get together. I, that's why the scriptures go on Hebrews to say, you know, don't forsake assembling together. Encourage one another daily. We need to have that type of impact on each other. Anyways, I was thinking about what Barnabas's funeral might have been like. I don't know how it would have been, but I can just imagine something like this. They're all gathered, and I bet you it was packed. I mean, all the people he's encouraged. I bet it was packed, standing room only, at the funeral of the son of encouragement. And I can, I can just imagine Apostle Paul coming up to speak first, and people just elbowing each other. That's Apostle Paul. Wow, he's famous. And then to have him say, "I was a persecutor of Christians. I was a murderer." I drugged him off to prison. And when I came to Christ, nobody, nobody would take me in. But Barnabas, he came and he put his arm around me and he said, I vouch for him. And Paul would say, I'm here today because of Barnabas. Then I can imagine the next guy comes up is John Mark. Mark comes up. People are elbowing each other. That's John Mark. He wrote the gospel, Mark. He's famous. He gets up and says, my name's Mark. He said, I just want you to know there was a time where I was a quitter. Things got tough. I quit. And I left, and I thought, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm done with this. But Barnabas came after me. And Barnabas put his arm around me. Barnabas stood with me, encouraged me. And Barnabas vouched for me. And Mark would finish by saying, I want you to know I'm here today because of a guy named Barnabas. And then I can imagine some guy gets up there they have never seen before. He's a Greek guy from Antioch. He comes up there. And people are going, who's he? I don't know who he is. He says, I want you to know uh, I grew up in Antioch. I grew up in a Greek family. I didn't know anything about the Old Testament law. I didn't know anything about Judaism. And I was so lost, it wasn't even funny. But when I heard about Jesus, I wanted in. And and, and I found out that Jesus came for a guy like me. And then Barnabas showed up, put his arm around me and said, you're exactly right. Jesus came for a guy like you and a guy like me. He came for all of us. And then to see that Greek guy said, I want you to know I'm here today because... Of a guy named Barnabas. And I can just imagine one more. I can imagine like an old widow lady. And she kind of she creeps up, and people are like, who's she? And she says, I just want you to know that after my husband died, I couldn't, I didn't couldn't provide for myself. But Barnabas sold his property. So there was money available for people like me to keep on making it. And I want you to know I'm here today because of a guy named Barnabas. I tell you what is so amazing about his life. It's because of the life of this one grandstand person, Barnabas, Christianity that was pretty much, pretty much centered in just one little part of the world, Jerusalem, Judea. But because of a guy like Barnabas, it expands and goes on. Because of Barnabas, a grandstand person, the Apostle Paul and John Mark write half of the New Testament because of a guy like Barnabas, a grandstand person. And I I think that my encouragement to all of us dads is to be grandstand people for your kids no matter how old they get. And I think that encouragement, really the challenge for all of us, is be grandstand people. Look for ways to breathe life into other people and to get them, and keep them on track, promote them, celebrate them, develop them, and let them continue to carry on for the glory of Christ. Now, let's all stand for closing prayer. But before I do close this in prayer, I want you guys all to know that we have something special for the men. Now, the whole, if you're with your family, the whole family can go across to the gym. We're asking for you to give 15 minutes to a fun thing and when you walk out of here, you're going to smell hot dogs. Now, every dad has to eat a hot dog on Father's Day. It's written somewhere, I don't know. But anyway. But there's hot dogs out there. We just thought it'd be fun. You don't have to hang around. Some of you guys have plans, we understand. But we have like, we try to develop like a 15 minute competition thing for dads just to have fun. There's some games for the kids to play over there as well. But the idea is simply this that, that we're going to have competition. There's going to be some different events that you can do. you got a card you're going to get. You check your your score, and then you can leave, and we're going to contact. The winner gets a $100 gift card. Second place, $50. Third place, $25. Just something fun on Father's Day. And so, again, you guys don't have to hang around long, but just for fun, head across and get your card and do the different competition things and we'll let you know who won. We'll, we'll put it on our Facebook page as well and, and on our website. But and let's make sure you get the gift. But let's just do that and then have a great, great, awesome Father's Day. All right, let's pray. Father, we just we do pray, Lord, that all of us would become more and more grandstand people. Lord, that we would learn how to really through our giving, through our acceptance, through our celebrating, promoting, developing others, that we would really be grandstand people those around us, to our kids, to our spouses, to our friends, to our church family, that it would just be an environment of encouragement every time we get together. We pray that you would take us further in this area in the name of Jesus. I pray blessing on every father, on every celebration, Lord, and that uh, you would continue to take us as a church further and further in honoring you, Jesus, and causing your kingdom to come. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.